Welcome back. Last night we talked about um, two very important virtues or values or character traits that need to be developed um, in our own lives and also in the lives of our children. And that is the idea of obedience, that our children learn the importance of listening to instruction and receiving correction. We saw that without that, it will be very, very difficult to navigate through life. Um, <clears throat> I would think that we could probably associate um, many of our problems um, to a failure to listen to instruction and receive correction. You could think of home projects, okay? The ones that came out well, you listened to instruction and you received correction. The ones that didn't, you thought, I know how to do this. I don't need you to tell me what to do. You're not the boss of me, right? So, <clears throat> and you have crooked tile. Um, in relationships, in the workplace, um, some of us, if we would be honest, um, we could look at some um, failures in our vocation. And at the time, we wanted to blame everybody else. But if we took an honest assessment, we would say, here's the real deal. I was unwilling to receive instruction or correction. Um, and so they're very difficult. It's very difficult to navigate through life without that character trait. And we saw also how difficult it would be to attempt to walk with the Lord without that. Because inside of us, we have warring natures. And just as the wind had to bow to the voice of Jesus, we too need to learn to bow to the authority of God, to what God wants us to do. And that, that trait is something that God has entrusted us to instill into our children. Um, also, the, the value or character trait or... or um, <clears throat> um, I lost the other word I was going to use, so it's gone, um, of, of honor. And we saw that honor is a value word. We saw that it's, it's a word that could carry the idea of putting the proper value on the proper things. We saw that Israel had a history of failure in relationship with the Lord for failing to properly honor God, giving God the right place in their lives. And, and so... Um, in our own lives, we need to learn how to put the proper price tag on the proper things, and we instill that in our children, especially the fact that we're not unique <clears throat> um, in the sense that we are attempting to follow Jesus and raise children that would follow Jesus in a culture with different values than that. Okay, that's not unique. That's been the history of the church. Um, the, the church was birthed in a pagan, hostile um, uh, environment where when a person accepted Christ, the kingdom of God affected them, and then the kingdom of God began to impact their home and, and life and community, but it was with a backdrop of a value system that was opposed to that. So we're not unique in attempting to do that, but we have become more and more aware in recent years of just how opposed the culture that we live in is to the value systems of God's word and God's kingdom. And so <clears throat> we're having to learn how to, how to put the proper value on things, and that's something that's important to instill in the life of our children as well. So that was kind of recap of last night. So you think to yourself, I could have saved myself an hour last night and showed up for the five-minute recap. So um, 
Today, we're going to talk uh, a little bit about the idea of, of setting and meeting goals in, in your parenting. Okay, so setting and meeting goals. Um, the message title is just, what are you aiming at? So what are you aiming at? Um, several years ago, <clears throat> we were, uh, we'd taken a small mission team to West Africa. We were in Ghana, and we found out as we were there that when we were traveling from the location that we had just finished doing ministry to the next location, that in that area there was a small animal preserve and that we could go on a safari. Now, pause. Do not think of the safari that you want to go on. Okay? So this is not the Serengeti. This is more like a preserve in sort of the jungle of, of Ghana. So we pull up, and the guide gets in the passenger seat of the vehicle. And when he sits down, he brings his rifle in with him. And the rifle, when he sits down, points right back at the head of the person in the second row. And so I reached over and grabbed his rifle and said, hey, why don't we not do this? And shoved his rifle out the window. Does that make sense? So he sits down and the rifle is pointing right at somebody's face. So I said, how about it goes out the window? Okay, so, and then we start our sort of janky safari. My point in saying that is that it's pretty important where you point a rifle, right? It's, it's kind of important what you aim at. When I was a ch child, um, I convinced my parents to allow me to have a BB gun. What do you think the first rule was when I got a BB gun? Don't aim it at your brothers. Guess what we did. So, <laughs> so it's, it's important. And in the same way, in parenting, it's important what you're aiming at. You know, it's, it's been said in, in athletics, in basketball, that you miss 100% of the shots you don't take, right? Does that make sense? Okay. That you're, the ball will never go in the, in the basket if you don't aim at the basket and take a shot. And so it's important, I think, as it relates to parenting, that we, we say, well, what is it? What's our goal? You know, we talked last night about <clears throat> parenting is not simply carrying our children safely from childhood to adulthood, meeting their needs and felt needs along the way, but that we actually have, there's more to parenting than that, that we're preparing them for life and adulthood. So we want to have a goal. We want to have something that we're reaching toward. So let's take a moment, let's pray, and then we'll, we'll talk about this. <clears throat> Father, we're, we're thankful that uh, while we may or may not have had uh, a, a good model in our childhood, we may or may not have good models in our peer groups, uh, we thank you that we do have the model of how you raise us, the way you invest in us, the, the goals and purposes you have for us. And so, Lord, we're asking that you would help us to understand better this role of parenting and then equip us better to accomplish that role. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, I want to share with you three common problems with parenting. Uh, I think one problem would be failing to set a goal. You're just kind of this thing's thrown at us and we're just chasing the ball downhill. And parenting can feel like that. 
right? Especially you have one child, <clears throat> then you, some, you have this moment of weakness, and you think it's an idea to have a second child. And then, because you're already overwhelmed with that, you can't think straight, and you decide to have more than that and you're outnumbered, and, and, and it feels, it can feel like that this life's just happening to you, and I'm just basically spending every day reacting, and, and it's just chasing this thing downhill, and so one of our, our failures can be just failing to set a goal. What is it that we're aiming at? Another failure can be setting, uh, failing to set the right goal. We, we have the wrong goal. What we're, what we're aiming at, what our objective is, is not really a, the, what I would say, a, an objective that's developed out of establishing kingdom values or a biblical worldview or this is the plan of God. And then thirdly, I'd say we can, we can say, no, 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 I want to set a goal and I'm going to set the right goal. But a third common failure is failing to take the necessary steps to reach that goal. So we can say, I have this, this is what my goal is for my children. But then we look and it's like, well, are, am I actually taking the steps that are going to lead towards accomplishing that goal? Um, Christy and I um, have had the, the, the privilege of doing a lot of traveling over the years. And uh, when we're traveling, <clears throat> we have, a, have really a very simple goal. We want to arrive safely at our location. Very simple goal. Right? We're getting, if when, when we were coming here, so we just want to arrive safely in Miami. That's our goal, right? We gave up long ago wanting to arrive safely and on time, right? That, that used to be my goal, but I realized that just doesn't happen. So, so just, we just want to get there. But listen, if we are going to meet that goal anywhere that we're going, so let's say we're going overseas, if we're going to meet the goal of arriving at that location, we have to meet several other goals along the way. We have to, there's manageable steps that we need to take. We need to purchase tickets. We need to perhaps acquire visas. We need to show up at the airport on time. We need to make our connections. We need to endure whatever travel is associated with that, whether it's an easy ride or a difficult ride. We need to make our way through customs, right? There's, there's these measurable goals along the way. We'll never meet that goal. Hey, you know what we want to do? We've got, we have uh, friends who are, uh, live in Ramallah in the West Bank, and one of their children uh, are, is getting married in May, and we want to go to the wedding. So if that happens, we're actually going to have to buy tickets. We're going to actually have to um, make the travel. Does that make sense? It's not a difficult concept. If, we if we're going to reach the goal, there's all these steps along the way to get to the goal, or else May 13th passes, and we never went to Ramallah. So we want to reach those goals. So I think parenting is similar. We want to make sure that we set proper goals. We want to establish mile markers along the way to say, are we actually heading in that direction? Let me give you an example. Um, sports, I had four sons. And so sports played a, uh, a large part in our child rearing. There was, they were, they're athletic, they're energetic. Sports was everywhere in our home. And sports can be a tremendously valuable tool to reach the objective that we were going towards. It can be very, very helpful. 
I mean, that, that the, the camaraderie that it develops within our family, something that we unite on, I mean, it's like suddenly there's this one thing <clears throat> where all four sons and dad are engaged in, right? They're, we're playing baseball in the front yard together. That's a wonderful tool. That's an amazing thing to do. They're on the, they're on the team, and, and, and so we're there, and we got the matching hats, and we're, and we're watching them play, and we're cheering them on, and, and brothers are cheering on brother as they're playing the game. It's a tremendous tool that can be used to help us reach the goal that we've set for raising our children. But the, the, the amount of hours and energy that, and, and just life itself that's associated with your child playing sports, that in itself can, can sometimes distract from the goal. Suddenly it's, it's like, oh, my kid's amazing. He's the best shortstop that's ever played shortstop. He's five and this is it and suddenly the goal changes and now my child is going to play for the only baseball team that matters the Los Angeles Dodgers and so we're just going to go in that direction we're going to push everything there and suddenly it's like oh wait a minute this thing is changed my goal rather than a tool towards the goal does that make sense and so it's common for that to happen we can become so engaged in something that is really a helpful thing to reach a goal, it becomes the goal. It, 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 we'll talk more about if your kid really is that talented in a minute. But, um, <clears throat> so I wanna talk a little bit about what our goal should be and I wanna talk about some practical steps to get there. Um, uh, it's important, I think, also to recognize that the the world's value system is different than the Bible's value system. And the world is, is not have at its driving force the desire to please God. So if, you, if that's news to you. Um, but as a result, um, culture is going to develop different goals for our children. And culture is going to provide different tools to reach those goals. So if, if I just left to, to South Florida and what's, what the values are, what's important in South Florida, then that goal is going to be different. And also the tools used to reach the goal are going to be different. And so I think if we're modeling our parenting after the world around us, we're going to have improper goals and not the right tools to reach them. I think also it's true that if we grew up in a home where our parents weren't weren't believers and they weren't, um, they, their primary objective wasn't pleasing the Lord, then the model that they set for us might not be the proper model and the means of reaching that might not be the proper tools. And so what happens to us is we tend to do things the way we were shown how to do them. And so, you know, there's, there's a lot of different ways. I, this is a silly illustration. Most of my illustrations are complete nonsense. So this is a silly illustration. But when my, uh, we have twin sons, and when they were graduating from high school, we actually, at that same time, we had the pastor that runs our ministry in West Africa was at our house, and also a good friend of ours who pastors in England was at our house. And when the boys graduated, they had a bunch of friends over, and we had pizza night at our house. So we're making pizza. Well, I found out while, while we're there making the pizza that 
the, this friend from um, England had worked in a pizza shop when he was a teenager. And so I'm like, awesome, you can help me because we've got a lot of pizza to make. I had worked in a pizza place. I was that spinner guy that throws the pizza up in the air. So, you know, I mean, literally. So I would do that stuff. I was the clown that, uh, that distracted the children while the parents waited for their pizza. And, uh, and so I had, I was taught a certain way of how to actually uh, to spin the dough. So take the dough and this, make a crust along the edge, back and forth this way, stretch it out with the hands, and widen it as you spin it up in the air. Well, Dave, Dave was taught a different method. Dave's approach was different. And I'm watching him do it, and I'm thinking, you're doing it wrong. Okay, this is how you spin pizza. You don't spin pizza like that. Honestly, I'm confessing this. Don't tell Dave. His pizzas came out better than mine. Okay? He did it wrong, but his pizzas came out. So, so like, here's my point. Like, there's, there's more than one way to do things, but we tend to lean into the way that we were shown. And so sometimes what can happen to us is we grew up in an environment where our, our parents weren't necessarily believers, and they raised us in a certain way, and we just, our natural tendency is to lean into what we did as parents. But listen, if my goal is different, my tools need to be different too. My approach to parenting needs to be different as well. It's, it's some common tools that are used in, in raising children are anger, frustration, exhaustion, fear, or, or threatening. Right? Those are common tools. I'm so frustrated with you right now. I'm yelling at you to just knock it off because I just cannot hear your voice one more time this minute. That's a very common parenting tool, isn't it? Okay, we're frustrated, we're angry, we're fearful. Oh no, oh no, what, what, if, what if this? Like, they're, 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 you know, having trouble. They can't really communicate. They're not making, their words don't quite make sense. They're 18 months old. And, and we're afraid that, they, and this fear gets into us. This literally happened when we had three children, our, and uh, I went to Christy and my son James, and I was so afraid because James didn't respond the same way as our other children. He's like three. And I went to Christy and I just said, I gotta pray for that kid. Like, I don't know what the deal is. And she's like, what are you worried about? And it was this, the very thing that I saw in him, I was afraid of what it would do, is the very thing that makes him the, the, the amazing thing, most amazing thing about him. He, this kid is the most, he's such a servant. And he, he will like, he, I mean, as a, as a child, our kids would want to play. And if you're going to play superheroes, you need a villain. Who wants to be the villain? Like what, how in the world are you going to convince a kid to dress up as the villain in the game and lose every time? James picked the villain every time. If he didn't pick the villain when he was a hero, ready for this? He was Robin. Not Batman. Robin, it's like, what, how do you convince a kid to be Robin? Robin's a goon, right? Like he's, like he's, like he's, he's a sidekick. In, and, but there's just this character trait in him. But when I, something in it was freaking me out. I was so afraid. Christy's like, what's wrong with you? So another time. So <clears throat> here's our first point. We need to have biblical goals 
and we need to use biblical tools to reach them. So all of that was just kind of set up stuff. That was just kind of sort of getting us into this framework to understand we need to have biblical goals and we need to use biblical tools in order to reach them. Um, I'm going to share with you um, what our goal was raising our children. And I'm going to front load it by saying I am a minimalist. Um, I, uh, I, that's another way of saying I don't prepare. But, um, so <clears throat> here, was, here was our goal. Our goal was we wanted to raise children to become adults that love Jesus and like us. Okay? We wanted, we wanted to raise children to become adults who would love Jesus and like us. Now, the, if, the, if the like us kind of tends up, you know, a little red flag in you like, Jim, you're not supposed to be your children's friends. You're supposed to be their parent. That side is covered in the love Jesus part. I would just suggest that it's possible to disciple or raise our children in a way that, that makes both Christianity seem more appealable and makes relationship with us seem more appealable. See, we had this realization that, that while we have a relationship with our children when they are children, we're going to have a much longer or possibly have a much longer relationship with them as adults. I mean, my, I, don't, I, I still have offspring. They're still my children, but they're not children. My youngest son is a dad. He's 24 years old. He has a two-year-old son. That's my youngest son. Like, I, I, I want to have a relationship with him so that at 24 and 30 and 36 and whatever, that we still have a relationship. So the way we go about reaching that goal is, is it, we want it to be flavored with, there's an objective here that we continue to have a relationship with them. If I'm, if I'm treating my children as, as teenagers the same way I was treating them as toddlers, that's going to affect that relationship. You're dumb, I'm smart, you're little, I'm big, just do what I told, no discussion. That's not a healthy way to raise teenagers who are filled with thinking. And, and, and that will carry on into adulthood. So we may touch on that a few, little bit more in, in a few minutes. Remember, Paul talked about adorning the doctrine of God, our Savior, in all things. We're, we're, he talked about this idea of the gospel is beautiful, but I can live in such a way that makes it look more beautiful. Um, I, I want to raise my children in a way that I have a healthy relationship with them. Uh, I asked some of my friends who... Uh, they're much younger than I am. They're kind of in the thick of parenting. I told them, Christy and I, actually, I didn't tell them our goal until after I received from them. I said, what's your goal? You're raising children. Um, one of our friends said this, we want our kids to serve Jesus, love each other, and love us. It's a good goal. Like, this is where we're headed. Serve Jesus, love each other, love us. Another friend said, <clears throat> we want to... Um, we want our children to develop a relationship with Jesus. They said, in order to do this, we want to create an environment in the home where children learn to steward themselves. So we want them to develop a relationship with the Lord. To do that, they need to learn in our home where, where it's like in a, in a manageable setting how to steward, how to be responsible for themselves. 
Another friend said this, we want our, our children, uh, we want to love our children and we want to disciple them well. When I was, um, when Christy and I had made the decision to move to Florida, we lived in Southern California. Um, we had heard about a, a group of believers in Vero Beach, Florida that were in need of a pastor. We had visited. We sensed the Lord was telling us that it was time to move. Um, and we knew, we met one couple. We knew no one. Um, and I knew no one other than this couple that I met in the entire state of Florida. We lived in Southern California. Um, we, uh, our house and Christy's sister's house with her children and her parents' house were all on the same main street, okay? It just economically got less as you went towards our house. But, um, and my mom lived on the other side of town. Uh, the high school that I went to was on one side of town. The high school Christy went to was on the other side of town. I had been a teacher at Calvary Costa Mesa for the last nine years. We'd, we'd, we couldn't go anywhere in Orange County and not run into former students. Relationships, our church, the only church I'd ever known, the church I got saved at is the church that, that I went to, that we served at, that we got married at, that, and, and we're sensing the Lord calling us away from family, friends, relationships, everything that we knew to a place that we don't know. We don't know what's ahead of us. And the most difficult thing for, for me personally, I think Christy would probably attest to it, was this idea that we are taking our children away from their grandparents and their cousins and their friends, and, and that was very challenging. And we were, we were having this kind of going away event. It was at Christy's parents' house. We had a bunch of our friends over and had food, and then it was like, hey, let's spend some time praying. And, uh, and I don't remember specifically what people were praying for. I'm, I'm, I'm sure there were some of those great heroic prayers. Lord, we're so proud of Jim and Christy venturing out into the unknown. Lord, fill them, use them. You know, that, I'm sure there were those things. I'm thankful for them. I remember one prayer. There's a stairwell going up. Halfway up the stairwell was my friend Rich Chafin. Many of you have met Rich. And Rich begins to pray. And Rich prays, Lord, I think this is stupid. <laughs> so if you know Rich, you, like you go, oh, that sounds exactly like Rich praying. I think this is a bad idea. I think it's terrible that Jim and Christy are moving across the country. And then he says, but as you are discipling them and discipling their children and discipling their grandparents, and, and I just, for the first time, I, my oldest son was five, we had twin three-year-olds, and we had an infant. And for the first time in my life as a parent, I realized God was not just doing a work in my life and in Christy's life. That this process of what we're doing in life is also affecting, it's discipling our children. They're learning what it means to grow in and follow after Jesus. And that, one, that was one of the most freeing experiences for me as a parent. It helped me realize what my objective is. This is not just about me and I'm doing the right thing as a dad. It's like, Lord, you're doing something in the life of my kids. So what our goal, I'm gonna, I'm gonna sort of take all those things and I'm gonna formulate what I think would be a healthy, good goal or objective for, for parents to aim at. And that is this. We wanna raise children to become adults who love God and fulfill his purpose for their lives. Let me say that again. Our, our objective, our goal, we want to raise children to become adults who love God 
and fulfill his purpose for their lives. We recognize that the Bible teaches that God has a plan for our lives. It's, it's one of the, it's one of the, the, the beautiful um, aspects of following Jesus is that, is that we could say God knows what he's doing. Like when, when God saved you, God had an, an ideal that he's working towards in your life. When God created you, like when you, were, when you were formed, God formed us with a purpose. We're told in Psalm 139, the psalmist writes, I will praise you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are your works that my soul knows very well. He says, Lord, I've been created by you. Um, later in that psalm, he says, your eyes saw my substance being yet unformed, and in your book they were all written, the days fashioned for me when yet there were none of them. Lord, you already organized my days before those days even started. In Jeremiah 29, Jeremiah <clears throat> it, uh, speaks on behalf of God to the people in difficulty I know the thoughts that I think towards you, says the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil to give you a future and a hope. God says, I know, I have a plan for your life, even in your troubling circumstances. And then I think perhaps most importantly, in Ephesians chapter two, Paul says this, he says, we are his workmanship. And then he says, listen, listen to this phrase, this is critical. He says, created in Christ Jesus. We are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus um, for good works that God prepared beforehand that we should walk in. God's already got a plan. We discover that purpose, that plan, when we step into relationship with Jesus. So we're living life. It's not, it's not that our life was completely aimless before we came to Christ, but when you come into a relationship with Jesus, it's like, oh my goodness, now I'm starting to realize why I'm here. God actually has a purpose and a plan for my life. I'm not just, I'm not just a, a cog in this massive wheel that is humanity. I'm not just, I'm not just an, an, an unnamed background player in some big story of someone else's life that I, God actually has a purpose and a plan for me. And so when we are in, in raising our children, we want our children to come to that place where they enter into a relationship with the Lord because as they develop a relationship with the Lord, they're going to discover that God has a purpose and a plan for their life. My, um, part, of, part of Christy and I's journey, um, I, right before we got married, um, I was hired um, on the staff at Calvary Chapel of Costa Mesa. They didn't have an intern program. They didn't have interns. But essentially, I got hired as an intern. So it was just, I got hired to assist the youth pastor. Um, the youth group at the church was like a church in itself. Hundreds of people. It, it had, you know, there were, there were elders and there were deacons and there were servants and there were home groups and there were outreach ministries and mission trips. I mean, it was a church within a church. And I was hired to assist the youth pastor. Uh, that happened in June. And then in September, Christy and I got married. And that first year of marriage, 
um, was a very, very difficult year for us, not, not in our relationship, but just with that backdrop. It was a very challenging experience for me, and I, it caused me to question whether or not I was really called to ministry. And, uh, and I attempted to quit, um, and uh, I even called a local surf shop and asked if they were hiring. <laughs> I got just anything. And, and it was just a very, and it was, it was purposeful. It was a design, the design of God to help us have to face and deal with some things. And so what happened is I stepped out of that role and I transitioned into a teaching role at the school. Um, they were changing the way they were doing the Bible classes for the middle school. And so I became a middle school, the middle school Bible teacher. And I changed roles. And it was a very difficult time for me stepping out of this one thing, stepping into it. And we went up to a, um, to a retreat for the teachers. And at this retreat, um, that, that passage in Philippians where, where Paul is praying that you would prove the things that are excellent. It's in the opening part of Philippians chapter one. It's part of Paul's prayer for the church that you would approve the things that are excellent. And the concept behind that is that you would discover God's best for your life. And that was revolutionary to me. It was like, oh my goodness, God has a plan for my life. God has a perfect for my life. And I felt like when I was stepping into that teaching role, I felt like I was living in the exact thing that God had created me for. I spent eight years there teaching five with the middle school, another three with the high school. And I felt like I was living, doing the exact thing that God had created me to do. And so I want you to understand that with, with your children, God has a purpose for their life. He's, he has a plan. And, and when God created them, he created them, listen carefully, he created them with certain gifts and abilities, and he created them with certain weaknesses that, they would, that would cause them to struggle. Do you know that about yourself? Do you know that God has created you with certain limitations? I have, I have limitations, and I, the longer I live, the more aware of my limitations I am. They're the things that, that make life challenging for me. They're the things that I wrestle with. I'm not talking, I'm not talking about sinful things. I'm not, that's a different subject. I'm talking about sheer weaknesses, things that I'm just not good at. So, do anybody here really detail-oriented? You can, you're not bragging, you're just detail-oriented. I'm not. Okay, I'm the opposite of detail-oriented. So, this is what I've discovered with myself. I've discovered if I'm trying to accomplish something and I do it quickly, I do a bad job because I'm not detail-oriented. I've discovered if I slow down and focus and try really hard, I do a really bad job slowly. <laughs> okay, that's what, I've, that's what I've discovered about myself. I, it's so frustrating. Like I, I, my, we, my, I have a son in Pompano and uh, he, he called me, he said, hey, we wanna bust out this closet in our bedroom. We wanna expand the size of the closet and then we wanna do this whole built-in in the closet. And I said, awesome, I'll come help you. And so I brought somebody that knows what they're doing. And so we went down and, you know, we did it. We bust the, open it up. We reframe some of it. We put drywall in and then we start. And, and you know, Nick's the, the he's the, um, 
project manager. So if he tells me to drill this hole or screw this screw or cut this size, I can do all that. And so we build this whole thing out. Well, now we're left with, you know, we've done the drywall. We're going to have to mud that drywall and clean it up. So I do the first coat of mud on it. And then, you know, we live a couple hours away. I have a schedule. So I said, hey, I can come back down in two weeks and I can mud that. But let me tell you how it's going to go. Okay, it's going to take me all, it's going to take me one night and the next day, then we're going to paint it and then we're going to go in with spackle and fill all the holes. Or you can spend 150 bucks and have a guy come do it once right in 20 minutes, <laughs> right? Do, do you understand? Like I, I, I do the drywall like this and I'm like, how come mine doesn't look like yours? And if I slow down and do the drywall like this, how come mine doesn't look like yours? That's a struggle inside. It, I, honestly, I'm not talking about just, well, Jim, you just need, I cannot do it. Some of you, you, like you may be artistic and you, so you do, it's like, I can't do that. It's your, what, you know, listen, you draw that, I draw that. It doesn't look the same. My guy looks like your guy beat my guy up. It doesn't look the same. And, and so the, again, I tell you, all my illustrations are silly and ridiculous, but they're exposing just this fact that in me, there are certain things that I am not gifted towards. My children there are things that they're not gifted towards. Part of parenting is recognizing my children's strengths and my children's weaknesses. The children's weaknesses, they, we have to help them to develop disciplines so that they can navigate through life in the areas that they're not good at. Okay, That's what... The, the disciplines that we develop in our children. So, for instance, one of my, another one of my challenges is that I don't sit well. I, um, yeah, we don't have time for this, I'm gonna tell you. So, so um, my wife and I were at a marriage retreat just a few weeks ago sharing, and they did this corny game. Uh, and so myself and Christy sat, and the pastor and his wife sat, and then they asked those questions, like newlywed game questions. So they asked, they asked the wives, what is your husband's favorite kind of candy? And so she's got to write it down, and I've got to write it down, then we turn our thing over, and oh, look, you got the right answer. So one of the questions they asked was, was wives, if your husband was an animal, what animal would he be? Okay, I immediately have an answer. I know exactly what it is. So, so they go, the, the other couple, they turn, and both of their things say cheetah. And I think to myself, what in the world's going on in that house? Okay, then I turn my card over with the correct answer, and Christy turns hers over. It says mule. <laughs> mule, okay? So... There's a reason for that. There's actually a Bible verse that says, don't be like the horse or the mule that is led with a bit and the bridle, but instead we want to let God lead us with his eye. And my tendency is not to do anything. I'm the mule, so we've talked about that. But the right answer is, I'm a squirrel. <laughs> and I don't sit still. I'm, my thoughts are always everywhere at the same time. Um, I, can't, I can't sit still. That's a challenge for me. And, and so <clears throat> in looking at my children 
And I look at, well, what is the challenge? Jim, Jim will have to learn how to navigate through life when his mind won't stop moving and his body doesn't slow down. How is it that Jim's going to be able to navigate through life? So disciplines have to be developed in Jim's life in order to face life with that. Um, uh, so part of looking, part of, of the, reaching this goal of helping our children to become who God's called them to be is to recognize what their weaknesses are and help them through that. So you have a child who just doesn't, is not scholastic, and they just, school is a challenge for them. If you, and you have another child who just like breezes through it, and you've got a child that struggles through it. Well, you don't just go, well, I guess school's just not their thing. Like, yeah, you don't need to learn how to read. Writing's no big deal. You know, no one's going to use that math anyway. You've got a calculator or a phone. Just ask Siri. So, you, like, no, you develop these disciplines in the life of the child because much of life is having to do things we don't want to do and aren't good at. This week, as, as an adult, there are a host of things that you had to do that you are not good at and and you don't want to do. But if you don't do those things, life is going to unravel on you. And so you have developed disciplines in your life in order to be able to address the things. So with our children, it's like, well, they're not good at this. I still need to help develop these disciplines in them because life's going to be filled with things they're going to have to face that they're not good at. But the other side is, what are they gifted at? And you start to notice the, the giftings that are in your child. And you want to you pour gas on that fire. You want to pour into that. Because likely, the call of God on their life is going to be more associated with what their giftings are than what their challenges are. It's like you start to see this. And so, that as, as, you, as we do that and we fuel into it, our children... Um, we have four sons. They're actually, they're brilliant. They're very intelligent uh, uh, young men. But they, they were not scholastic. School was a battle always. It was constantly a battle. There was never that time where they're going, oh my gosh, I'm so excited. I get to write a paper on this. Okay, they were, it was a battle to get them to do it. But as we were doing it, we're realizing it's not because they aren't intelligent. It's because they're relatively disinterested in all of these things. So what are they interested in? And, and so if we can uh, fuel that or direct them towards what they're interested in, we saw that their, their intelligence would blossom in that. My son, uh, Nate, was not studious. He is since. He's now one of our teaching pastors at the church, it would be hard for you to find a more disciplined student of Scripture than my son Nate. When he, when he, when, when it started to be like, oh, this is where his interest goes, all of that pours into it. Now, that doesn't mean, hey, you don't have to read your history book and you can skip your math assignment. You have to do the things you're not good at. Those are going to help to give you tools to navigate life, but let's pour into what you're good at. God has a purpose for your children. He has a plan. And you're helping them to grow and step into that. Now, this plan that God has for the life of our children is associated with their personal growth, their church involvement, 
and the Great Commission. How do we know that? Because those things matter to God. They're true for all of us. So I know that, that if I'm gonna help my children just to love God and to discover God's purpose for their life, I'm gonna have to um, focus on developing their spiritual life. And I'm gonna have to recognize that, <clears throat> that um, I, I'm moving towards something. We, we had a phrase in our home, we, and this, is, this phrase came later as our, as our kids kind of reached adolescence, and we would use the phrase adult relationship with God. An adult relationship with God. We're moving towards that. We have an expectation that we want our children at some point to reach that point where they say that, that you know, my parents have taught me this, but I'm embracing this, and I have my own relationship with God that I'm investing in. But we also recognized in order to get there, they would have age-appropriate relationship with God. Age-appropriate relationship with God. There's a relationship with God that's appropriate for a one-year-old. There's a relationship with God that's appropriate for a six-year-old. There's a relationship with God appropriate for a nine-year-old. Does that make sense? Let me try to illustrate again with a ridiculous illustration. Um, one day, and I, I'm not, I don't remember the circumstances, but I was, I was driving and I had uh, three of my four children with me in the car. My youngest son, I think, was three, three or four. And, uh, and the twins are three years older than that. So I've got, let's say, a three-year-old and two six-year-olds in the car. And I had to stop by the church, and I left them unattended in the car. Okay, so parenting fail 101. So, uh, so I go in. I do whatever I need to do. I come back out. I get in the car. I drive home. We have dinner, put the kids to bed. After the kids are in bed, Christy says to me, did the twins tell you what happened when you left them in the car alone? And I went, oh, no, I'm in so much trouble. She said, no, no, no. She said, the twins turned to Shane, and they said, Shane, have, have you asked Jesus in your life? And he says, I don't know. And they said, well, do you want to pray and ask Jesus in your life? And he said, yeah. So they said, okay. So they led him in prayer in the car, and they lead the, the two six-year-olds lead the three-year-old to invite Jesus into his life. And so he opened, they open their eyes, and Shane looks around, and he says, Where's Jesus? They said, well, he's inside you. And he goes, oh, I ate him up. <laughs> That's an appropriate three-year-old understanding of relationship with God, right? Like, I pray to invite him. Where is he? <laughs> he's inside. Well, the only way I know to get stuff inside me is to swallow it. So I guess I just ate Jesus. Hey, that's appropriate. Now, listen, if that's his only understanding of Jesus... If that's the way he relates to Jesus at 6 and 12 and 16, something's wrong, correct? That's appropriate for three. Um, my, my dad, I, I didn't grow up with any, any um, religious upbringing, much less Christian upbringing. And um, after I got saved and um, I would try to witness with my family, um, I was talking to my dad, and I was telling my dad, trying to invite my dad into a relationship with the Lord. And my dad said this to me. He said, when I was a child, my dog died. And, and some, some religious figure told me that my dog wasn't going to heaven, and I don't want to go to any place that my dog wouldn't be allowed to go to. 
And I think at the time I'm thinking, you're a 65-year-old man with a degree in psychology or a professor at a university, and you're still relating to God the way you misunderstood him when you were five? Do, do you understand that? You, like, so it's, it's important. Like My children at this age have this understanding, but I want that to develop as they develop. I want them to have age-appropriate relationship with the Lord. What is appropriate for a child that's six? What should I expect out of their relationship with, with, with the Lord? What should I expect out of, and how do I fuel into that? So if I'm going to reach the goal of my children becoming who God wants them to be, I've got to invest in their spiritual life as they develop. What does that look like? Number two, I think we also need to <clears throat> help our children understand the, the role that they play in the body of Christ. The church was not created by human beings. It was created by Jesus. It was birthed by Jesus. It was bought with his own blood. And it was something that God designed as the community in which the believers would develop and grow. And it's very important for us, your, your relationship with God has been tremendously enhanced by your fitting into the role that you play in the body of Christ. It's important for our children to, to do the same. Um, Christy, and she'll talk more about this, but Christy did such a fabulous job with making Sundays the best day of the week for our kids. It was, it was that... They loved Sunday. Sunday was the day when they got to see their friends. Sunday was the day that their friends got to come over. They got to go to friends. We got to go out to eat. Sunday was that day. They loved it. We had three boys, and as a pastor of a church, our kids are required to be at church a whole lot more than most kids, and they never complained. I can't think of a time where our kids ever resisted coming to church because because we saw the value of it and we, did, we, we in, created an environment in which made that seem more appealing. It wasn't, get up, we're going to church. No, you can't do that. Like It's like, heck yeah, Sunday's the day. It's the day we're with God's people. I, and and you know, I'm, I'm the pastor. I'm exhausted after Sunday morning. And the kids all want to have two friends over. We have four sons. It's this madhouse at our house coming over, whatever, and, and, you know, they're destroying the house as children do, and it's like, this is all, it, like I mentioned last week about, we, know, we, we got hold of their playbook, like, we got your playbook. This is all part of the program. <laughs> you think you're running amok? You're actually right on step with our objective of you understanding how good it is to be part of the body of Christ. And so I think it's important we, we participate in that. Number three, we also <clears throat> want to help them to, to navigate through the world, um, not as victims of the world, but as, I, I, I kind of uh, sort of resist saying this, but not victims of the world, but victors in the world, because sometimes that can be misconstrued. In Christianity, you're a victor, so God's got your, and so whatever you want to do, he's going to give you strength to do, which is a complete misunderstanding of the concept. But the idea is that I want my children not to grow up afraid of the world. 
I want them to go out, go out saying, God has called me to participate in being a light in the world. That's part of understanding what our role is in life. Now, there are things that we need to protect our children from. If, you, um, if there's a train track that goes right behind your house and no fence, there's, you would be an irresponsible parent if you let your children play in the backyard unattended. You have to protect them from that. There are things, there are certain things. And there are more things now that are dangerous to our children than they were when we were children. Right? I mean, just a reality. You know, in, when I was a kid, to, to see images that are inappropriate for any man, much less a, a developing young man, to see, I had to go find them. Now they find us. We have to figure out ways to keep them. Like we have to figure out, how do I block that from getting into my home instead of how do I just keep my child from going out and finding it? So there are realities of things that we bear the responsibility of protecting our children from. But we don't want our children to grow up afraid of the world. We want our kids to grow up. Listen to some of the things Jesus said in John 17. Father, I do not pray that you would take them out of the world, but you would keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I'm not of the world. Sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, I have sent them into the world. And so, so if I'm going to reach the objective of my kids loving God and fulfilling their purpose, his purpose for their life, not only do I have to help them to recognize these are the things that you're not good at, so you need to develop disciplines to be able to do stuff that life's going to throw at you that those... That, are, that, that those lack of giftings require. And not only do you discover what you're good at and we want to fuel that so you can recognize God's call for your life, but you need to develop your relationship with the Lord. You need to mature in that as you mature. You need to find your place in the body of Christ because God created this community for us to grow in. And you need to recognize there's a world out there that it has pitfalls. We need to be aware of them, but also God wants to use us to impact the world. I told you last night, we don't think of ourselves as the model, but the only story we have to tell is our own. Um, of our four sons, our twin sons, the, the, the first and fourth son are very similar. They're, they're loud, they're energetic, they're talkative. The, the twins are much, um, uh, they're much more uh, subtle, they're more quiet, and when they had finished their, we had done different things with schooling. We had done homeschooling, we had done some Christian schooling, and we'd done homeschooling again. And when they finished their freshman year of high school, they approached us and said, hey, we, was it freshman year? And they said, we want to go to the local public school. And we were kind of worried because the school was going to not put them in the same class. And we thought, I'm just not sure how they're going to function socially. They're so quiet. Like, we're actually having this conversation. Like, are they going to be, I mean, they're, they're 15 years old. Are they going to be okay, you know, doing this and doing the parent thing? Well, these guys go in, into the school, and they just blossom. They, because they aren't like their father and talk incessantly, they actually listen when other people talk. It's this amazing thing. I'm trying to learn it. But, um, and so they developed all these relationships, and... And not only did one of our sons become the junior, uh, what was it, prince or whatever of the homecoming, and then the next year the other one became the 
the king, the homecoming king. It's like, wait, you talked? And, uh, uh, but in, 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 a, in sort of a very conservative estimation, I would say they probably led 25 of their friends on the campus into relationship with Jesus. They were constantly bringing people to church and bringing people to the Lord. And it was just like discovering who it is that they were. So um, I think I've gone long enough. So I'm going I'm to end just with this. If our goal is to raise children um, to, to love God and fulfill his purpose for their life, um, there are certain things we need to do to reach that goal. If we, if we want to become a doctor, there's steps that we need to take to become a doctor. If we want to become a barber, there's steps you need to become to become a barber. If you want to be an Olympian, right? There's steps you need to take. I had a friend who from middle school, um, actually from sixth grade, started talking about how he wanted to be a doctor. Sixth grade, seventh grade, eighth grade, all through high school, talked about wanting to be a doctor never took a single step towards becoming a doctor. He took many steps towards becoming a criminal, um, but no steps towards becoming a doctor. So he's never, it can be, well, that's my goal, but never take those steps. We need to, if that's the goal, what are the steps that we're taking? And in the passage that we looked at last night in Deuteronomy chapter six, um, we saw last night that we lead them, we don't, Send them, right? We, we have to embrace these things ourselves. Are, do you have the appropriate relationship with the Lord as a parent? Are you investing in that relationship with the Lord? Have you found your part in the body of Christ? Do you see yourself as a light that is to impact the world? Are you being that witness within the world? Those things are going to be reproduced in our children. Unfortunately, both genetically and we may say, um, what do they, they say? It's, um, I can't remember the phrase. But, you know, we are, we are both a product of our DNA and we're a product of the environment that we live in. Both of those things are true. Right? That's, that's a reality. If you don't think that, just move to a different culture for a while. Some of you that have moved here from another culture, you realize America's really messed up. <laughs> These Americans are all super confused, right? Because, because those things that we take for granted growing up in it stand out. But um, so the, our, you know, we are a, a product of our DNA and we're a product of our environment. And uh, we have to be able to say, no, 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 no. I want to be a product of what the word of God has to say. Um, in that passage in Deuteronomy chapter 6, there are, there are very specific steps on how to do this. He says, he says, teach these things to your children. When you rise up, when you lie down, when you walk along the way. He says, write them on the doorpost of your house and on your gates. He says, invest these things in your children. Use life as the backdrop. And I spent too much time talking about other stuff, so I don't have time to talk about that. So let's go ahead and pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for each parent here. Thank you for each child that they represent. Uh, Lord, in some cases, even the children that have yet to be um, that are represented here. And uh, Lord, we, we know that in many ways um, we're overwhelmed with parenting. We know that it's challenging to us. But we know, Lord, that you are for us and you are for our children 
Uh, Lord, you have a plan for them and a plan for, for, um, for us in raising them. And so we're just asking for an extra measure of your grace as we do that. In Jesus' name, amen.